This is the Bartholomew Town Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Bill Bartholomew here with you for another round of the Bartholomew Town Podcast here on ripodcast.com, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you like to listen. It's a beautiful week. We're getting deeper into the spring, approaching our glorious Rhode Island summer. More and more people are getting vaccinated with the vaccines just opening up this week to everybody 16 plus. And it'll be interesting to see how the numbers come in in terms of who accepts it and how quickly we can get to the point where we're at like 70, 80% of the total population vaccinated. But that's a discussion for another day. Today, we're taking a look at Revenue for RI with Senator Melissa Murray. Now, this is ostensibly a campaign to try to increase taxation responsibilities for people who are making the most amount of money in the state and essentially generate revenue for the state, which could then be dispersed and distributed in a way that would either fund programs or sort of relieve some of the tight budgets that some of our institutions are presented with. And look, this is a conversation that's going on on a national level, even in some cases on a global level, right? Where do we want to place the corporate tax rate? Where do we want, where do we want to place the responsibility for individuals who are making more than 500,000 or more than a million dollars per year? And what would be the fair contribution on the part of those individuals who are making that kind of money right now. Now, there's the counter argument to this, which we've heard, and there isn't really any data to back this up. But on the surface level, you know, you have to at least acknowledge it. And that's the concern that, look, people are going to leave Rhode Island if they are making more than 500000 or a million dollars a year or whatever it is, and they are, quote unquote, taxed out of the state. Again, there really isn't any data to suggest that that would occur. But that's the opposition voice that we've been hearing on this matter. Really, again, frankly, on a national scale, but then even here hyper locally, we've heard that time and time again that, look, if you if you create too much of a tax burden for individuals, they're going to choose to leave Rhode Island and then we're not going to get any tax dollars from those people. But Senator Murray today lays out a case for why this revenue for RI campaign uh, ought to be considered and passed in terms of taxation policy within the halls of the General Assembly and signed by Governor McKee. Now, Governor McKee, he said, look, I'm not looking to raise taxes at this point in time. We're coming out of COVID, economic calamity for many people, unless you've got significant holdings in the tech sector, right, or medical supply and so on and so forth. For the vast amount of people, it has been a difficult road. This is a bigger context question, I think, looking forward in terms of how are we going to fund infrastructure? How are we going to fund the programs and the policies, if you will, that need to be implemented? So I think it's a valid perspective and one that everyone should hear out. And if you have a counterpoint to this, feel free to send me an email, bill at ripodcast.com, bill at ripodcast.com. You can always tweet at me, at Bill Bartholomew, and I'll be sure to read those on air. And let's get this conversation going, right? What should be the threshold of increased taxation responsibility here in the state? And what would that do in terms of real-time practical implications if, the taxes were raised for the most wealthy here in the state. What would that look like? We know that there's going to be opposition to this. We know there's going to be people who are quite for it. Is there any middle ground? How do we figure out a way to get this done um, in a fair and equitable manner? So that's the discussion today with Senator Murray. I hope you enjoy it. Now, there's been a lot going on here in Rhode Island in terms of response to some of the horrific shootings that we've been seeing, some of the injustices that have been playing out on our televisions or computers. And um, if you want to watch the coverage of that, 
oftentimes live, if not, then sort of a recap. The best way to do that is to follow me on social media, either inside the Bartholomew Town Podcast Facebook group. Just search for Bartholomew Town. You'll see the group pop up. Join it. I'll let you in. And um, that's a great place. That's a good forum for conversation anyway. And of course, you may also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Bill Bartholomew. And um, on YouTube, just search Bartholomew Town or Bill Bartholomew. You'll find my channel, which I'm just slowly starting to build up. You know, I haven't really been promoting that. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how, from a time management perspective, frankly, I can deliver unique content to YouTube. Um, but that's there for you as well. So a lot going on in Rhode Island. And all of it, in some ways, kind of circles back to today's conversation on this revenue for Rhode Island issue. And I hope you sit back and enjoy this one and have a great weekend. The warm weather's coming, feeling optimistic, looking out the window right now here in the loft as I'm taping it, blue skies, and trying to feel optimistic, man. You know, just trying to feel as good as we possibly can right now, given what we're coming out of and what we're going through as a society and just trying to find that optimism. And hopefully you're able to as well. I really mean that. Okay, let's get to it. Senator Melissa Murray talking revenue for Rhode Island here on Rhode Island's podcast of record, B-Town. Good morning, Senator Murray. We are, um, we're discussing revenue for Rhode Island today. And I guess let's just get right into it. What, what, is, what is it and what's the ultimate goal of this campaign, if you will? Sure. So a revenue Rhode Island for Rhode Island is a campaign um, that is about creating a new tax bracket for the top 1%. And it is because, you know, our current tax system is upside down, both nationally and locally. Um, there's uh, wealth inequity that is is just getting worse. And just for example, the top 1% owns 40% of all the wealth. The bottom 60% owns just 2% of all the wealth. That's true on a national level. And it's certainly true here in the state of Rhode Island. Um, and here in Rhode Island, the, we- the wealthy have seen three massive tax cuts in the last two decades. Um, in the early 2000s, Bush... Um, gave them some federal tax cuts in 2010. Kachiri gave them state tax cuts. And then, of course, in 2017, um, Trump um, gave them more federal tax cuts. This alone saved the average like top one percenter about $35,000 a year. And so, you know, here we are with these upside down um you know, tax policies. And so what this legislation does is it creates a new tax bracket for the top 1%. It only affects um, those who make $475,000 or more a year. So basically folks who are making half a million dollars a year. And what it does is it just puts them on par with the same percentage that the rest of us are paying. And I want to give a little example um, so, for example, if somebody is making $500,000 a year, if they're making half a million dollars a, a year, they're only getting, they're only paying that higher percentage on the difference after the 475. And for the average um, person who makes half a million dollars a year, that's really only resulting in about $750 of extra taxes for them. So, mm-hmm. you know, I I think when um, when we hear folks getting nervous uh, about implementing this legislation and thinking that, you know, there's going to be a mass exodus of wealthy from the state of Rhode Island. That's just really not the reality. And there's not data to support that. Um, 
I think you'd be hard pressed to rent a U-Haul and and move out of state for seven hundred and fifty dollars. Right, and I guess you know the the tax code in general is complex, and and look, manipulating taxes is part of the version of capitalism that we exist in here in the United States. There's no question about it. That goes for people who are making very little money as well. The idea is to pay as little as you possibly can. But this comes from more of a moral, um, I guess, ideal than anything to say, hey, look, if you're making more, then you should contribute more. In practice, you know, you say it would only generate, let's say, 750 bucks if you're making $500,000 a year. What about the person who's making $10 million a year? Not a corporation. We're not talking corporate taxes here, but an individual that's making five, 10 million, 20 million, 100 million a year. What sort of numbers are they looking at with this sort of increase? So for someone who's making, you know, like a million um, dollars a year, even if this is put into place with the tax cuts that they've already received, including the most recent one from Trump in 2017, they're still um, coming out ahead at about $15,000. So overall, um, this would only, again, and I want to really stress this, it would only um, affect the top 1%. 99% of wage earners in the state would would not be affected at all, including um, small business owners. And so overall, this will raise $126 million for the state of Rhode Island. There's and, some and folks- there's some folks who would say, look, you know, a lot of people use nonprofit gifting or other mechanics to essentially they're not paying taxes, but in order to manipulate their taxes, they're giving money to the nonprofit sector or other write-offs, so to speak. Um, are you concerned about that being impacted and seeing seeing a lesser contribution to nonprofits or even elements of the private sector that are supporting people who are in most need. I think that kind of speaks to that whole um, trickle down theory that we know doesn't actually work. Um, I think that folks are altruistic and they give to causes that they really care about. I don't really see someone with that ability, with that amount of income, really um, not doing that because of this legislation. Um, You know, if we want to talk about uh, small business, um, you know, this legislation is is good for small business. It will spur small business growth and and job creation. Um, I think when people and when I canvass and when I'm out in the public, um, you know, my constituents are concerned about taxes and and their concern is, you know, I can't pay my taxes. My taxes are too high. But I think it's important to distinguish that what they're talking about are property taxes. And I think that a lot of people put taxes all in in one bucket. And so they say, you know, I can't afford my taxes. My taxes are too high. What they're really talking about, especially my constituents in District 24, are property taxes. And the great thing about creating this new revenue stream is that we can allocate some of that money to be used to support cities and towns that can offset those property taxes. So I I think that that's really important to keep in mind when, you know, the average person is considering how this legislation will affect them. It's kind of a classic Rhode Island story, and it it sort of dates back to the Matty Yellow campaign in 20. 16 or 18, um, it's 2016, 
the car tax. And look, that's an onerous tax. And I think that um, anybody who has to pay it knows that it's onerous. At the same time, there's arguments that th- that taxation, those taxation dollars go to this same pile of, of money. Are you in favor of rolling out the car tax or do you believe that that should be uh, sustained um, as a part of this sort of uh, revenue generation idea that that is floating around? I have never really been supportive of the phase out, and I I feel that it should be leveled off. I think the folks that it has already benefited um, is notable, uh, and you know those on the bottom have seen who, whose cars who typically drive older cars whose cars are worth less. You know they've seen that tax phase out, and that fifty, that hundred, that two hundred dollars is really meaningful for them to keep in their pocket. But as we go to a complete phase in, you're really affecting those folks on the top who have multiple vehicles that um, are expensive vehicles who can well afford to pay the tax. All right, folks, this is getting real. The time for talk is over. From iron workers to engineers, business owners to biology teachers, Rhode Islanders believe in the power of offshore wind. Together, we're cleaning the air and creating jobs right here at home. Our goal of 100% renewables by 2030 is in sight, and the future is bright, with Rhode Island a real leader in America's emerging offshore wind industry. So what makes you a Revolution Wind believer? Join us at revolution-wind.com slash it's real. That's revolution-wind.com slash it's real. Let's go. What sort of support are you seeing in the Senate and in the House, even from your conversations as to um, just broadly speaking, you know, I remember back to the justice budget that was proposed. I think it was last fall, a group of senators and and members of the House and members of clergy and nonprofits and advocates pushing for or ju- what they call the justice budget. A part of that was a significant increase in taxes for those who are making, I think I can't remember the numbers exactly, but something to the effect of, that you're describing. Do you sense broad support on Smith Hill for this type of policy to go forward? Well, I can definitely speak um, on behalf of a majority of senators that have signed on to this bill. And I know that there are other bills, there are different variations of this bills, and this is one of um, three. And so I think that generally the consensus is that this idea may move forward, but coming to an agreement on, you know, what's that cap, what's that level, um, what's that tax percentage, I think that's where the discussion is really going to happen. What would you say is the average income between salary, the um, amount that they're making as a member of the legislature and any other, whether it's corporate um, investments or other accounts, the average wealth of uh, uh, the median wealth of a member of, let's start with the Senate. Would you say that the majority of senators in would be um, impacted by this maneuver should it take place? I would think that they would not. Um, I don't know the personal finances of, of other folks. Um, I can tell you that, you know, I know that there are multiple senators who, like myself, are working multiple part-time jobs. I, I lost my 
full-time job as a result of the pandemic last year is pretty yeah. hard hit. And um, ironically, my um, Senate stipend was about $20 too much in order for me to qualify for unemployment, even though I could prove that I, you know, I lost my job during the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, directly because of the pandemic. And so as a result, um, you know, working as a, a legislator and I'm working um, two part-time jobs and I'm also a self-employed artist. So I have my yeah. little side hustle, my side gig um, on the weekends and, you know, just trying to make it through. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of folks are in my position and I don't see this legislation impacting Again, I don't know everybody's personal finances, but I can't see this legislation impacting um, any members of the Senate. I'm very curious about your artistic situation. What's that all about? So um, back in 2013, the same year I decided to run for city council, um, it was just kind of a crazy year. I uh, quit my full-time job with benefits, took um, all the money that I had saved, and I opened a shop on Main Street in downtown Woonsocket, which was a huge gamble. I was at that for about four and a half years, but um, I design jewelry and I sell online and I do the Providence Flea and um, it's mostly upcycled and reclaimed materials, but I just kind of do a little bit of that. And um, it's, it's really rewarding. It doesn't pay the bills, but it's, it's a nice little side hustle for sure. Yeah. Art is such a space where talking about taxation, you know, you have the, the majority of artists are, I don't like that term struggling artists, because even though, yeah, you're financially struggling, oftentimes it's offset by, at least for me, it was offset by the adrenaline rush of the day-to-day -day life that you get to live. Um, which could one could argue is better than if you're making a zillion dollars in a position that you just didn't like at all. But then when you hit something, whether it's a painting that attracts a significant buyer, if you're a songwriter and you get a song that goes nuclear and someone records or ends up in a film or whatever it may be, you suddenly have the opportunity to go all of a sudden you're making 500, 800,000, a million dollars. So it's an interesting, if let's say your work was picked up and I don't know, somebody said, Hey, look, we're, you're the next Alex and Ani, you know, you'd be totally willing to increase your taxation contribution. If you were to surpass that 500,000 just off of your art. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent. And on the flip side of that, you know, when, when we're talking about businesses and like, there's really been this trend of people wanting to support small businesses, wanting to support local. And I think that started before the pandemic, but particularly during the pandemic where we see people really just um, investing in their own local artists and local communities. And so, you know, creating that revenue stream and, and putting that money, that extra little bit of money back in, in people's pockets, they're going to spend it locally. And we all know that those local dollars go much, much farther than any um, purchase at any big box store. How do we stand in comparison to our neighboring states as far as the tax bracket, the, the, the plus 475,000 um, in tax increase? Is that something that we that happens in Connecticut, Massachusetts, um, New Hampshire's a tax anomaly, so that may not be the best example, but right. is this a regional trend that we're seeing? 
You know, um, honestly, I haven't really dug into the tax policies in in other states. You know, I've been um, hyper-focused on, you know, what we can do here during this pandemic, particularly. But I do want to um, kind of address the argument where, you know, we're getting all of this federal funding. We're getting um, all of all of this money. And, you know, obviously some or all of that money will uh, will be used to plug budget holes. Um, and so people will say, well, you know, why do we need to do this? We're getting all of this this federal money. Why, you know, why? would we need to implement this now? And my answer to that would be, well, you know, millionaires have gotten richer during this pandemic and this federal aid and and this um, extra money is a one-time thing. So, you know, when that's gone, we need to create a long-term sustainable revenue source, you know, to to sustain us long-term here in the state. And so the time is now. And, and it is appropriate now because we have seen um, during this pandemic, the, the rich are getting richer. Yeah, particularly those in the tech sector and in the biosciences, there's no question, or those who have holdings in those areas as well. What do you sense as far as from inside the Senate, the impact that offshore wind, uh, the cannabis industry, that generally speaking, I guess, moving to the, the the blue economy, the green economy, the new jobs that will be created there, what sort of impact do you sense that will have on the bottom line of Rhode Islanders right now as far as tax generation, but also opportunity for work? Yeah, so the Senate passed um, the Act on Climate, and I'm super excited about that and to, to be a part of that. And, um, you know, kudos to Senator Oyer for really just pushing and working for, for years to make this a, a reality. And, you know, again, you get the the same kind of arguments, but at the end of the day, you know, it, it potentially can create um, 35,000 to plus jobs um, by the year 2028. And, you know, these are going to be good jobs. Um, they're going to, you know, spur the economy. And so it's kind of, twofold, you know, it is going to create jobs, but also, you know, it is the right thing to do. It's, it's the moral and the, the ethical thing to do to, to move towards a, a green economy. Um, I don't have children, but I care very much about, you know, the, the next generation, our next generation of, of leaders, um, of scientists, you know, these kids who are, um, going to replace us and making sure that we do everything we can in our power to make a meaningful um, contribution to the the betterment of the world that we leave them. Last couple of minutes here. What what are your goals for the rest of this weird Senate session? Um, do you think you'll be back in the state house as well? That's difficult to say. You know, right now we're meeting um, once a week in Sappensley Hall, and um, that's been a, a difficult transition. Um, it, it's it's really hard to get done everything that we need to get done when we're only meeting once a week. And so, you know, I would hope that we maybe could get back to the state house. But again, you know, I have big health concerns. Um, you know, I would like to see everybody vaccinated. I'd like to see the staff vaccinated. I think that's the only way that we could do it safely. So, you know, we're, we're kind of hopefully going to slowly move in that direction. But for myself personally, um, I have a 
one bill that's near and dear to my heart, and it's expanding the Rhode Island Works program. Um, the families on Rhode Island Works have not seen an increase in cash assistance in 30 years. Mm. Um, it's just unacceptable and unfathomable. A, a typical family of three receives um, only a, like $550 a month um, to live on. And it's it's not kept pace with inflation. These families are, are on the edge. Um, they're so vulnerable, especially right now. And you know, it's not about having the money. We can use our federal TANF funds to fund this increase. So it's not really about whether or not we have the money. Um, it's about prioritizing these families and especially these children who are in deep poverty. So that's um, a big goal of mine. And also lowering the cost of prescription drugs is um, also a, a big goal of mine as well. Yeah, that's something that this this country should be hyper-focused on as well. And that's something that everyone benefits from. Absolutely. Absolutely. And nobody should have to choose between paying their rent or paying their groceries or, or getting their insulin. You know, one out of four people ra- are rationing insulin. And, um, you know, that's just unacceptable. Yeah, we can do better with the largesse that we have in this society. There's no question that there's room for that. Come on, let's get a hundred (laughs) percent. I know there's a lot of bills um, regarding the lowering the cost of of prescription drugs and increasing healthcare access for folks. So, you know, that is um, something that that the Senate has definitely prioritized and that that I'm um, really glad that we're doing. Thanks a lot, Senator. Appreciate it very much. And, uh, Hope everything's well up north. Yes. In the North Country. (laughs) (laughs) One socket in North Smithfield. Rhode Island's podcast of record, B-Town.